You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Morning. Praise the Lord. I love Christmas. I love the commercialization of it. You probably never thought you'd hear a preacher say that. I think about all the businesses that make their money and make their profit in December. Yes. Right. Look, look what the Savior's birth did. Amen. Brought prosperity. Amen. Amen. He's a good God. Everything he does is good. I'm not saying it hadn't been overdone. I do admit that. But, but everything else has to. I even sing the song, You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming. We never taught our children that Santa Claus wasn't real. We taught them that he was real. That he was an actual saint that lived a thousand years ago, something like that. And that he gave children toys at, at Christmas time to celebrate the giving of, gave children gifts, you know, candy and what have you, to celebrate. Now, we did teach them that most of what's taught about him nowadays is kind of mythical, and, but it's just, just all part of the fun. Don't hate your culture because some lunatic religious person tried to make you hate Christmas and Easter. Amen. We're going to have Easter egg hunts. They say, oh, that's, that comes from paganism. Yeah, well, so do I. <laughs> I, just, I just hate what religion has tried to do. do everything that's, that's Western civilization and American, Amen. it's okay. Okay, if you celebrate Christmas to the full, amen. amen. Just don't forget why we really do it. Don't forget why we really do it. It really is all about Jesus and all he did. Today I want to talk to you. I, was, I, I came prepared with a perfectly good message today. Perfectly good from my point of view. But appa- apparently somebody didn't carry all that much for it. <laughs> And while we were worshiping, the Lord began to speak to me about the message. I said, Lord, this is completely not what I had planned. He said, yeah, I know. What you had planned wasn't what I had planned. So, okay. So I'm, I'm going to preach something to you. That's why I had to leave the room to go put together a few thoughts. But I have something to share with you today I believe will be beneficial to you and help you. And it ties into the Christmas story somewhat. I'm not a big one to always preach, preach about the holidays. I try to just hear the Lord and preach what he tells me. And if it happens to be a holiday, that's fine. But I want to ask you uh, to uh, think just a little bit about this baby. This baby was born in this manger. Born in a barn and placed in a manger. That's the way the story goes. Wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes were, were just casual linens that they used for rags. They often used them to wrap dead people. Kind of an interesting statement right there all by itself. What his real purpose was, was to come to die. So we could tell the story of his death in a meaningful way, not as a tragic murder of an innocent man, but as a purposeful death to take the place of those who deserve dying. One died not having deserved it and took the place of one, took the place of everyone who did deserve it. I don't know about you, but I deserved it. 
I deserved hell. I deserved death. Yeah. I did. But somehow, he, he made a way where I didn't have to go to hell. And I'm not going today. I'm not going next week. I'm not ever going. And I'm not talking about the pride of my ability to stick with God. I'm talking about what he did for me was once and for all. What he did for you was once and for all. He, not, he didn't let you in free of charge and make you work your fingers to the bones to try to stay saved. That is not in the Bible. What's in the Bible is you become part of a family. Glory to God. You become part of a family. You didn't just sign up for this thing, but you become part of a family, and this is what it means to be saved by grace. You're not saved by grace in the beginning and saved by works to end it all. You're saved by grace to start, saved by grace to finish. Amen. And you get in by faith, by simply believing the simple message of the gospel of Christ, that Jesus died for your sins. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Do you know that I have been teaching this for many, many years now? And I constantly come across people, because I'm always preaching in different churches. You all know I travel a lot. And I have students come to me from around the world that are saved and spirit-filled. And I ask people on a regular basis, what is the gospel? And it's amazing to me and shocking to me that folks can't tell you what the gospel is. How many of you in this room know what the gospel is? Come on, show, tell me what the gospel is. What is the gospel? This is the gospel. You ask some people what the gospel is, they say, turn or burn, praise God. Get right or get left. Repent, you sinners. Double tongue, stiff neck, hardened heart. That's where they talk. What, what, if that's the good news, what's the bad news, Pete say? <laughs> no, the gospel is Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day. It's all about what he did, not about what you do. Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. It's all about what he did. And what, what, what our connection to it is is nothing but, but, but simple faith. It's doing nothing but believing it. Amen. So we have to ask ourselves the question, was this really God? Was this baby really God manifested in the flesh? The answer obviously is yes. There's so many proofs of that, that he was God manifested in the flesh. But if his God manifested in the flesh and he came to take away our sins and his blood, and he came to die, wrapped in swaddling clothes, came to die, why did he not just die in the manger and get it over with? Why did he have to go through all he went through for 33 years? Why not just die in that manger Give your life there, shed your blood there, be done with it. Why not let Herod come and kill the baby? Was his blood, was we any more the Son of God hanging on the cross than he was in the manger? The right answer is no. He was not any more the Son of God on the cross than he was in the manger. He was just as much the Son of God laying in that manger as he was the day he died on the cross. And his sin was just as pure and holy there. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, would have taken away the sins of the world. Would have taken away the sins of the world. He was fully God, fully man, born of a woman, born made of the seed of David, the Bible says, and his sin, blood would have taken away the sins of the world right there. But he didn't die there. In fact, God wasn't going to let him die there, even though Herod the butcher was coming after him. He fled. He went down to Egypt for a little bit. I wonder how they had all that, that money to travel down to Egypt. I wonder where they got all that money travel down to Egypt and stay all that time and then travel back to Nazareth and stay all that. Where'd they get all that money? Oh, <laughs> remember those wise men? There wasn't three of them. History reports that when that happened, when wise men, when, when kings got together to travel to inaugurate another king, especially if they came from a long distance, there were as many as 
50 of them sometimes together, not three. The fewest number ever recorded was 10. So somewhere between 10 and 50 of these, of these city-state kings came to inaugurate the new king of the Jews. Where is he that's born king of the Jews? And they didn't come with three little coins. Where they come all this distance across the Fertile Crescent, maybe, maybe 800 miles around the Fertile Crescent, they're going to come to bring three little coins and a little tiny box of myrrh that he gets to use once? No. They loaded their camels down with, with, with wealth, with immense treasures. Glory to God. Glory to God. Loaded them down. The new king of Israel had arrived, and he was now rich. He was a, he was a rich baby. He was not poor, as religion tries to teach you. Jesus was not broke, not a day in his life, until he died, until they took everything from him, from him and called him a criminal and executed him. That's how they had it. That's how they did it. That's how they lived on that money. So why did he not die? He had some things to do. The simple answer is he had some things to do. Jesus had some serious and important things to do when he walked the earth, before he died. I have something to say to you. The reason you're not dead yet is because God has a plan for your life and you have some things to do. Look at somebody beside you there and say, you have them some things to do. Come on, tell somebody, you have some things to do. Number one, the first, thing Jesus, the first thing that Jesus did was fulfill prophecy. You can look it up for yourself, but nine times in the book of Matthew. Now, the Matthew, Matthew was written primarily so that the Jews would read it and had the Jews in mind as his audience. So Matthew has nine times the phrase that it might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled. And most of the time it says which was spoken by the prophets or, or which was spoken in the, or written in the scriptures. That it might be fulfilled. So the first thing Jesus had to do was go around fulfilling prophecy. There was a lot of prophecy about him. Somebody plugged all this into a computer one time. The, li the likelihood of all the prophecies being, being uh, embodied in one man were like a trillion to one. Well, there's never been, even been close to a trillion people on the planet. What are the chances that Jesus is who the Bible predicted he was? Huh? The chances are pretty good. He really was the Messiah simply because of all the fulfillment of the scriptures, all the fulfillment of the prophetic words. The government shall be, behold, a virgin shall conceive and, and bear a son. What? How's that going to happen? Well, it happened just the same. Amen. Because it was predicted it was going to happen. Jesus went about fulfilling all kinds of prophecies. He would fulfill all kinds of prophecies. It wasn't that he was trying to fulfill the prophecies. The prophecies were spoken of him beforehand, not him trying to make it happen. Are you hearing me? He, the prophecies were just a look into the future of what was going to happen. The prophecies were about him. He wasn't about the prophecies. But he came and he had to live his life to fulfill those prophecies to make sure that we knew who he really was. And secondly, he came to destroy the works of the devil. First John 3, 8 says that he, he, he that committeth sin is of the devil... And the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, Acts 10, 38 says it like this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. 
See, so when Jesus was healing people, he was, he was abolishing the works of the devil. When Jesus was working these wonderful miracles, he was abolishing the works of the devil. When he was forgiving people, going about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, when he was forgiving people, he was doing away with the works of the devil. He was annihilating the devil and the spirits that ruled in the, dark, dark, the realms of darkness and overcoming and showing us what it was like to be in charge for a change. Amen. Showing us what it's like to be in charge for it. And rather than always being led around by the nose by some demonic force, he gave, he gave the power and authority back to the sons of God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I hope this is making sense to you. He had something to do. The reason he didn't die in this manger, he had something to do. Fulfill scripture and go about teaching the devil a lesson. Amen. Destroy the works of the devil. The third thing, he came to demonstrate what a spirit-filled life was like. What do you mean, holler? I mean, we had never seen it before. We had never seen a 24-7 spirit-filled life. Oh, yeah. We saw Samson tear the gates off the Philistines' capital, carry them around. Oh, we, saw him, we saw him act like he-man, woman-hater. <laughs> you know, we, we saw him. He was something special. That, 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 that Samson, who, when he was in it, he was in it to win it. But the problem was he wasn't always in it. Sometimes he wasn't always into God. Sometimes he was into Delilah. First recorded haircut in the Bible. You saw how that turned out. I kept telling my daddy that. I said, Daddy, the first guy that ever recorded getting a haircut in the Bible, it didn't go well for him when he got his haircut. He said, I want to be like Samson. He said, okay. I'm taking your car from you. You can walk everywhere you just like Samson did. Got a haircut then. <laughs> Samson, the, the, the anointing would come on him and leave. David, whoo, was there any more, more anointed than David? Ah, we have a songbook in the middle of our Bible. And he wrote most of it. Thank God for the Psalms. Thank God for his life. They don't call Jesus, Jesus, son of Solomon. Jesus, son of Abraham. Jesus, son of Israel. Did, did they? What do they call him? Jesus, son of David. David's name is intrinsically linked to Jesus' name. This dude is powerful. But, get him outside of his anointing, he's going to look out the window like any ordinary man, see a naked woman and think, I'm having her. Get me her. Right now. Right? Girls, bathe in, bathe in private, would you? <laughs> Draw the curtain, do something. You never know when an unanointed man is watching. Because he was anointed. But that anointing came and left in the Old Testament. It came and left and came and left and came. Even John the Baptist, as awesome as he was. Take, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist, awesome as he was. He stood on the banks of the Jordan River. John the Baptist stood on the banks of the Jordan River. Seeing Jesus come. And I listened to his statement. It's a shocking statement if you, if you ask me. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Now to every Jew hearing that, they knew what he was saying. And what he was saying was that the Lamb of God to them was the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb, the holy 
Passover lamb. The lamb of God. He's saying that this man walking on the shores of the Jordan River is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, meaning there really is no more need for your Passover Lamb, all you Jews. He was canceling the need of the centerpiece of their religion. Passover is the centerpiece. Stood there like a bold lion and ruled their religion defunct. Afraid of nothing. What a prophet he was. But Matthew chapter 11 happens. Matthew chapter 11. Miss Ann, do you have it there? Look at, yeah, I got it. Matthew 11. Verse 1. Might as well just read verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving orders to his disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their town. What is this? The Toys R Us version of the Bible? Oh, okay, King James over here. Okay. Now, <laughs> I read the grown up Bible. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? What? What? This is the same dude that said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Now he's saying, In jail, Are you the one? Are you the one? Are you kidding? The Bible says that John saw the Holy Ghost descend upon him like a dove. I've been friends with the Holy Spirit for over 40 years, and I've never seen him. He and I are on speaking terms. We're on a first-name basis. I call him holy. He calls me John. You understand what I'm saying? I have intimacy with him, but I've never seen him. John saw him! John saw him! So I'm descending on Jesus. How many of you have ever seen the Holy Ghost? No. The Bible says John saw him. And he's asking, are you the one or do you look for another? John, what's wrong with your head, man? Nothing wrong with his head. He got the same old head he always had. Because before he wasn't speaking out of his head. Before he was speaking out of his spirit. Behold the Lamb of God. And had that anointing on him that made him a different kind of man. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you both see and hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out there to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken with the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. Hear what Jesus says about him. For this is he of whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, not Elijah, not Moses, not Elisha, 
Name your prophet. Not Isaiah. None of them are greater than John. Listen. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. What? The guy that got saved by the grace of God yesterday is greater than John the Baptist. And John's as great as all. What's the difference between John and you? You think, be, you think of yourself, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You need to make up your mind real quick about what you are. Because <laughs> the Bible already has. God already made up his mind. He does not call you a sinner. He doesn't think of you as a sinner. He think of, thinks of you as the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah. You may think of yourself as like, like that. But God says that you're greater than all the Old Testament prophets. And there's something that makes you different from all the Old Testament prophets. You remember? They had the Spirit who had come upon them for a job, come upon them for a season. And he'd come and leave and come and leave and come and leave and come and leave. That's why one day they looked like a hero. The next day they looked like a ho-hum. Huh? One day looked like one day looked like a warrior. Next day looked like a weirdo. Hmm? Jesus came to teach us what a spirit-filled life, a 24-7 spirit-filled life is like because he knew that everybody that believed on him was going to have the Holy Ghost nonstop. The Spirit of God would be in your life. You believe on the Lord Jesus. The Spirit of God comes into your life and you become a brand new creature from the inside out and you now have that power working in you every moment of every day. Glory be to God. Glory to God. You're in the kingdom now. You're in the kingdom of God. And that makes you greater than anybody that ever lived in the Old Testament. Even the greatest of the greats did not have what you have. That's why you, you read the stories of these Old Testament saints. Sometimes they just look wonderful. Other times they look awful because the Spirit come, came and left. You have the Spirit. And He had to come and demonstrate to us what a Spirit-filled life was like. He didn't want you following after Old Testament uh, believers in model. He wanted you seeing their greatness, yeah. But he did not, did not want you praying the kind of prayers that David prayed. Like this one. I've heard so many Christians pray this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is the guy who does not have the spirit on him praying. Do you understand this? This is not a Christian prayer. It's a prayer of a man who needs the spirit to come into his life. This is not a prayer for Christians to pray. Created me a clean heart. Hey, what was your rebirth all about if it wasn't to give you a clean heart? If it wasn't to purify your heart? You got your heart purified by faith. Not by, not, and you didn't lose it because you did something stupid. Amen. Everybody from Oklahoma ought to say amen. Praise God. I, I've done a few stupid things. You Texans too. You're not, un, you're not unstupid. You two on the front row. <laughs> Before their anointing was all based on their behavior, your anointing is based on the behavior Jesus had. That's why you put your faith in Him. Your faith in Him gets the credit as though it was Him acting. Glory to God. So He came fourthly then to lay down the terms of the covenant. To lay down the terms of the covenant, the fourth thing. What did we say at first? To fulfill the scriptures. The second, to destroy the works of the devil. The third, 
was to show us what a spirit-filled life was like, 24-7 spirit-filled life. And the fourth, to lay down the terms of the covenant. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil before God was with him. This was part of the terms of the covenant. He was showing us what was really ours. He said in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. He said in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to the woman, He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever believes, he, he, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. I like Mark eleven twenty three. You all know I love this verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, verse 24, when you, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Come on, look at somebody and say, You shall have them. I know sometimes your promise is delayed, but that does not mean you shall not have it. That when the Word of God says, if you believe it, you shall have them. That's why oftentimes when we pray for people, after we've prayed, we say, all right, now look at me. Your confession, as you walk away from here, your confession now is, I believe I receive my miracle. I believe I receive my blessing. I believe I receive my healing. I believe I receive. That's what he said to do. Believe that you receive when you pray. Don't, 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 don't wait to believe. Believe there when you pray. And you get your mouth open, you start talking about that. Keep the faith switch turned on. Say, I believe I receive. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. These are marvelous promises Jesus made. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil and teaching us what things belong to us. I like 1 Corinthians 2.12. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. 1 Corinthians 2.12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Why did the spirit come into your life? So that you can know what the terms of the covenant are. That you might know the things that are freely given to you by God. The Lord wants you to know what is yours. He wants you to dig in that Bible and find out what belongs to you. Too many people read the Bible for rules. They read the Bible for instruction in how to live. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying it's wrong. But they, they do that and leave out the promises. Your primary reason for digging in the scriptures is to find the promises God wants you to have. Amen. He made promises so you could live in His abundance and His joy and His peace. You'll more likely live for somebody who does you well than somebody who's always warning you. That's why my kids like to be at my house more than they do at their parents' house. My grandkids, I mean. My grandkids love to be at my house more than they love to be at their, their parents' house. That was, can we go to see Papa and Nana? Because at Papa and Nana's house, they just get blessings. Amen. Now, I know they need discipline, but they need to do that at their house. <laughs> their Amen. house. You want to be with the God who's good to you. You want to be with the God. You want to come worship. I mean, this, this church is growing and growing and growing. Just growing and growing and growing. New families coming all the time. And we don't, ever, we don't ever bark at people about how sinful they are. We just don't do that. Right. Not going to do that. I think they already know. 
<laughs> you don't need the, teacher, the preacher piling on too. What good does that do you? I mean, anybody here aware of your own shortcomings? Let me see your hand. You, you know, yeah, okay. I thought, see, I thought you knew. What good does it do me to point all that out? What we're, what we're lacking in is not, a, not, a, not an awareness of sin. That's not what we're lacking in. We're fully aware of sin and have sin consciousness all the time. My job is to get you righteousness conscious. Get you conscious of the promises of God in your life. Righteous of how good the Holy Spirit that is in you is. His first name is holy. He intends on living his life. I'm not challenging you to live holy. I'm just saying you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You will live holy. If you'll trust God, if you'll believe God, you're, all that stuff that p keeps pulling you away will go away if you'll keep walking by faith. You just keep walking by faith. Well, preacher, you know I got drunk last night. I don't know why I'm even in church. I feel like a hypocrite. No, 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 no. no. You're not a hypocrite by showing up in church just because you got drunk last night. That's not what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is a guy that says, ain't nothing wrong with getting drunk. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Never sees any need to change. Never sees any need to change. I don't know about you, but every time I've done anything stupid or wrong since I've been saved, I didn't need somebody to tell me how wrong it was. Because I'm not a hypocrite. I would still go to church and worship God and pretty soon, my consciousness is back. Let me tell you how to deal with that. When you've done something wrong, your problem isn't between you and God. He nailed Jesus to a cross 2,000 years ago to deal with how he felt about you. This is better news than you're shouting. This is really good news. That God dealt with how he felt about you 2,000 years ago. The condemnation that comes oftentimes when you've done something wrong really isn't coming from God at all. It isn't coming from the Spirit. It's coming from your own conscience and coming from the devil who magnifies everything. I'm not saying it's not wrong. I'm just saying it's, that's where it comes from. And you might even say, Jesus, forgive me, Lord, and still not feel forgiven. Come on, am I talking to the right house? It always gets quiet when I talk like this. It's like I'm reading your mind. It's just that I'm human too. I know where you are. I learned how to get over that. You know what I started doing? I started finding somebody that needed something I had. And started doing insanely kind things. Things that seemed imprudent. Like pull up to a red light and see somebody over there that I know is a druggie. I know is a drunk. I know is worthless to the world, but not to God. Amen. And I pull out a $10 bill. My mind said, give him a dollar. <laughs> but I'm overcoming something in my mind. Amen. I'm trying to prove to my own brain that I'm a really good person. <laughs> pull, out, pull out a 10 and give to the drunk. He's going to go throw down his sign and run to the beer joint. I know what he's going to do with it. But I didn't give the money to him for him. I gave it to him for me. Do something insanely kind and convince yourself that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what good works are really all about. You're not trying to win God's favor. You have his favor. You have Jesus, the man, seated at the right. You have his favor. We're just dealing with our own selves most of the time. Am I helping you at all today? 
Amen. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know how, uh, might know the things freely given to us of God. Nevertheless, John chapter 16, let's turn there, verse 7. John chapter 16, and I'm almost finished. John chapter 16, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, that it is better for you that I go away. Can you imagine the disciples there with the very Son of God on the earth, and He's telling them, it's going to be better when I leave. It doesn't make any sense. How is it going to be better for me if you go away? We've got the presence of God right here. We've got God in the flesh. We've got the, the strongest prophet that ever lived. We have it all in you, Jesus. Just stay here with us. We'll build our kingdom. Better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Wow. So what you're saying is, all that you do, Jesus, you do by virtue of the Spirit that's in you. And you're going to give me that spirit in me. Now I don't need you to walk on water. If I've got water I need to walk on, I'll do it by myself. I'll just use your powerful name, and I'll have your spirit in me. Glory to God. And whatsoever things you do, I see you do, I'm going to do. Amen. And greater, he said. Verse 8, And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, let's not, let's not rush to say what we think that means, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Reprove or convince is the real t Greek word there. Convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Let's see exactly what he means by that, because he goes right on and explains it all. I've heard this preached a lot through the years. Never heard it preached the way Jesus preached it. I'm going to... Let, let you see how Jesus, what his commentary on those three ideas was. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Oh, you know, you shouldn't be chasing down people who are smoking, drinking, running with the women that do. <laughs> you hear so much of that kind of preaching going on, like, all, you know, making up sins. I, I used to know a preacher who said, ah, I preach against dancing. I'm, I'm, I'm hell on dancing. One of his, one of his words. And I was thinking, you're hell all right, but you know, <laughs> just making up sins. Jesus didn't do that. He said, of sin because they believe not on me. What is he saying? The, the greatest sin the Holy Spirit convicts of? Unbelief. What do we ought to be preaching and talking about then? We ought to be preaching faith. Talking about faith. Faith in God. This is what the Holy Spirit, when, when, when you're being led by the Holy Spirit to talk to people about sin, you're talking, the only sin you really ought to be addressing mostly ought to, ought to be the sin of unbelief. Let's, let's, let's get over that and get into, get into our faith. Let's believe God. Let's just believe what God says. See, it's hard to do that when you've been sin conscious your whole life. That when God says you are the righteousness of God, when you are in Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Him. That's a difficult thing to grasp. It didn't say he'd make you righteous. It said you have become the very, ex, the very exposition, if you will, the very personification of what righteousness is. You are it. When they open up the book, the dictionary in heaven, and they turn to righteousness, your picture is there. Of sin because they believe not on me. 
verse 10, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So he wants, he wants you convicted and convinced of righteousness because he's not going to be here. What does that mean? That means he needs somebody to act like they know they are in covenant with God when he goes. He knew how righteous he was, and based on his righteous stance with God, he went about destroying the works of the devil. If you don't know you're righteous, you'll always be begging God to do things rather than using Jesus' name like an authority and causing the devil to tremble. You don't see the disciples begging God to heal people in the book of Acts. Not one time do they ever pray for anybody to be healed. But there's a lot of people healed in the book of Acts. How did it happen? They just say to them, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. I command you to be filled. I command you to be healed. I command you to come back from the dead. They just went around acting like they were God. Are you hearing me? You have to be convinced of your righteousness if he's not going to be here with you. Be convinced of the righteousness of God in you that came the moment you believed. This is good. Holler, I like your preaching. I don't know what they say. Doing a good job. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And then he says of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Not our judgment. The Holy Spirit comes to convince us that we have authority over the devil. The devil's the one who's been judged. The prince of this world has been judged. Glory to God. That means you have authority. If the devil has been judged, tried, and found guilty, glory to God, that means somebody has new authority now. And Jesus said it like this, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth, not as God, but as man. As God, he already had all the authority he needed, but he had to become a man so he could get our authority back, get Adam's authority back. Glory to God. And everyone who will believe on him gets that authority back in their own lives. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of getting pushed around by the devil. I've had all I'm going to take. Not going to take it anymore. Amen. But this is why, these are the reasons why Jesus didn't die in the manger, but went on and lived a long 33 years. You know, men at that time often died at 39, 40 years old. We tend to think of Jesus as a young man, but really... Men didn't live very long on an average back then. He lived a pretty full life for that time period. I really think until if the Father hadn't reckoned him as sin, reckoned him to be sin, reckoned him guilty of all the sins, blaming him for everything we ever did, if the Father had not done that, Jesus would still be walking the earth alive. Because you can't kill somebody that hasn't sinned. Because the wages of sin is death. Death is the way you get, get, paid, you know, get paid for sin. And if he hadn't been accused and held guilty of sin, there's no way to kill him. They could still be beating him, still be nailing him to the cross. He's not going to die until sin becomes his own. You see that? What that means is God really did reckon your sin over onto him so he could take it all away from you. So he could take it all away from you. That day when he said, Adam, where are you? I personally believe that was a real question. I don't think it was a, an all-knowing God that happened to know where Adam was. I think when God manifested in the earth, 
manifested in the earth in that voice, I believe he was, inst- he was used to instantly connecting with Adam, and he didn't instantly connect with him that day. And so he said, Adam, where are you? Huh. I'm over here. Adam, where are you? And it's like all through the ages, God was saying, Adam, where are you? This one rose up. Adam, where are you? Wasn't him. Then one day, Jesus came as the last Adam, lived his life, gave his life, and was buried. For three days, you wonder if the Father wasn't saying, still, Adam, where are you? Tick, tock, tick, tock. Friday, Adam, where are you? Tick, tock, tick, tock. Saturday, Adam, where are you? Tick, tock. The alarm goes off and it's Sunday morning. (laughs) And the father says, there you are. He came out of the grave. He had died, but he was back alive. Now the father is not asking anymore, where are you, Adam? He knows right where you are. He became a man, tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin, so that when he did die, he could carry all of your sins away. What a beautiful story. Never been one like it. It's the greatest story ever told. May I ask you to bow your heads just for a moment? You may be here today having never experienced the life that flows from relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But the greatest invitation this church or any church can offer anyone isn't the invitation to join us in worship, isn't the invitation to come to church, isn't the invitation to watch the children in their Christmas play. The greatest invitation we have to offer you is an invitation to become part of the family of God, part of this family, and to come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, to be born all over again. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You'll be a brand new creature on the inside. You'll think differently. You'll see the world differently. When you wake up in the morning, it will all have changed. So I issue this invitation today. Would you give your heart to Jesus, if you haven't already? Would you pray the prayer with me that makes people new? The prayer that says, I believe in Jesus. That makes a confession that Christ died for my sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, I believe this from my heart. If that's you, you say, Preacher, I need that prayer. I, I, I need to know this God you've talked about. I need to get started in my life of faith with Him. 
Would you lift a hand? I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. Just lift your hand and say, that's me. Don't care who knows it. I pretended, I pretended to be a Christian, but I know and I want to be today. I want to, I want to make it right today. If you're in this house today. God loves you. He'll take you just like you are. There's no cleaning up to do. We make an assumption in the Christian church that when you put faith in Christ, that you become new, that the miracle is taking place and you become a new creature on the inside. Doesn't mean all your troubles are gone, but now means you have tools to win. 